All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Off The Track. And again, it's Mitchell Cashmore joined by Nick Hine, and we're very excited today, aren't we, mate? Yeah, very excited. We've got a big personality here. We've got Timmy Clark here, really good jockey going around. And yeah, it's going to be a good one today. Yeah, especially he's the one of the top jockeys in Sydney and the country. He has 22 Group 1s to his name, four coming in the last 12 months and coming off a couple of fresh ones as well with the likes of Alligator Blood in the spring. So we'll throw to him now. Timmy, how are you, mate? Hey, boys. Yeah, not going really well. So, it's, um, yeah, I enjoy doing these types of things and, and chatting with, uh, you know, enthusiastic racing people and, and sort of spreading the word, you know, what a great sport we, we're lucky to be involved with. 100%. 100%. Well, we'll throw it straight into it. So, can you tell us how you got started in the racing game? Yeah, so I guess um, my brother, Brad, um, who is six or seven years older than me, he uh, he was a jockey as well. So he obviously started when he was sort of at that age of 17. So I was about 10 or 11 at the time. And then that was sort of my first, um, you know, introduction into racing, sort of seeing him, him go through it, going to the races, watching him. And from sort of, yeah, not long after that, um, it was like, uh, yeah, no, that's sort of what I wanted to do. So I, uh, I'd go and, and sort of spend a bit of time with him in the school holidays and that, and um, it just went from there really. So, you know, not saying I wouldn't have gotten into it without him, but it definitely um, it, it got me uh, interested as uh, uh, probably earlier than, than I might might have might have uh, sort of got into the sport, but, um, yeah, had a, had a good introduction sort of following him and, and, and watching him and and spending a bit of time with him when he was doing it. That's good. Is there a bit of a brotherly rivalry set up from that? Like now that you're in the city and riding in all these big runs, is there a bit of banter thrown around that you're like with him and who, who's the better jockey sort of thing? Yeah, there was. So, yeah, especially because um, I, I did my apprenticeship at the same Place he did down at Leeton was Peter Peter Clancy, so um, and, and Brad was just at Wagga at the time, so he's always sort of ridden mainly down that area. Um, and yeah, there, there was a little bit. Um, he's actually retired now, so um, he's actually he's actually a steward steward down there now. So oh, okay. I've got to be a bit careful what I what I uh, <laughs> what I do now when I when I go down and ride in, in that area. So. Um, but no, obviously he was able to teach me a, a, a fair bit um, coming through, and it definitely definitely helped having having him there to to sort of show me the ropes type thing. Yeah, well, fair enough. Well, in two thousand five, I believe it was, you decided to move to Sydney, move away from home. What was it like? You said there it was good to have that support of the family at the uh, the home base. So, what was it like to move away from home to pursue a career in the city? Yeah, it was obviously a, a big change. Um, you know, I'd grown up um, with my parents living on a, you know, 2,000 acre property and then moved to Leeton, which I lived on a farm there as well where the stables were. So then all of a sudden in Sydney where, you know, living in an apartment, um, you know, obviously a, a, a big change of lifestyle. But, it, that's one thing I've always been able to adapt um, with that. Like, and then obviously later on, I'm 
probably touch on it, you know, going to Hong Kong and that. So them sorts of things I was able to, to, to adapt with really easily. Like it didn't really worry me sort of coming to Sydney. I, I guess a bit daunting sort of driving around and finding a way around. But actually as far as living living in Sydney, it, um, I was able to cope with that pretty pretty well. Fair enough. Um, building on that, a couple of years later in 2011, um, you decided to move over to Hong Kong and have a go over there. So what, what led you over there to Hong Kong? Yeah, it was just, you know, I was obviously approached by the, the Hong Kong Jockey Club to, um, you know, to see if I'd be interested in interested in putting in an application. So, um, you know, some people might know that how, how it works. Like, you've sort of got to apply and and pretty much like put in a resume, you know, to to see if you can you can get a gig there. So it's not just a matter of turning up. You've got to, you know, you, there's protocols that go through, and they have a licensing committee and all that sort of stuff. So um, I guess it was one of those things where I thought that um, you know I didn't want to knock that opportunity back, and then and then not get the opportunity later on in in life to do it and, and regret it. So Although, um, you know, it probably was um, a bit early, I guess. I was still pretty young and, you know, uh, you know, as far as my riding goes, I may not have been quite quite ready for that step, but it was just an opportunity that I felt was, um, was worth taking up. So, yeah, I spent uh, the best part of, of two seasons over there and, and, and had, you know, you know, I didn't didn't shoot the lights out of it, but I I did I did well I guess, um, and, and I was able to ride a um, a domestic Group One winner over there as well. So yeah, no, like I, you know, I was never it was never a long term um, thing for me, but I, I did want to go over there and do just do a couple of seasons and and um, you know just to just so I could uh, you know didn't regret not going. Fair enough. And what's the biggest change over in Hong Kong? Is it is it the food or is it like just the living style over there? Is there anything that really like was a lot different from? Obviously, it's going to be different. But was the food? That's what I think. I feel like the food would be so much different over there. It's pretty westernized. Like it, you can you can get your your hands on on most things um, like that are pretty common to what we have here. So. Um, you know, some you know going out to restaurants, and there definitely was some things that on the menu that you're like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> but um, most most of the times, you could yeah, you could get what you wanted. But I guess the the thing about Hong Kong, we will you know the, the jockey club also you know they look after you to you where you're living. You know, I lived on on course there at Sha Tin. The apartments are are really big. Um, where I think you know in some other places in, in the city where, you know, like I think they're very small and like really small units and, you know, people, families are crowded in and, and that sort of thing. But um, the living, where we were living, it was spacious and, and that. But I guess the, the, the big challenge over there was you were going over there with, um, you know, Douglas White was the king of Hong Kong at the time when I went. Um, Brett Preble was over there and he'd challenged him in a couple of premierships um, I was going over there and pretty much just having to start at the bottom and, and try and work my way up like it, there's no doesn't matter how 
good you are here or or, or what you've achieved over there. You've, you've just got to pretty much prove yourself from from the bottom and, and work your way up. And um, that was obviously challenging. Um, the, the two tracks, you know, Shaitin's not too bad, but Happy Valley, obviously a, a unique track. Um, Shaitin's more sort of stock standard and similar to, you know, some Australian tracks. But, yeah, Happy Valley was a was a different beast altogether. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a good, very enjoyable experience, that's for sure. That's good. Well, it was good that it wasn't too much of a culture shock, but, like, you talk having to work your way up from the bottom. What do you think would have been the biggest difference racing-wise? So, like, you say the tracks are somewhat similar, but Happy Valley is a different beast entirely. Like, when you're out on the track riding the horses, what would be the biggest difference between a race in Hong Kong and a race in Australia? Um, their racing styles are, are somewhat similar. Like, they're good speed, they race. I, and I think that's why, like, Australian jockeys do so well there. Like, we do race similarly, sim- like, in a similar style. We race tight and, and that. But, like, Happy Valley was so unique that if you were, you know, the difference between being on the fence and being one-off could have meant length. Where you know, like, not 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 because of bias, just because of the the circumference of the track and and when the rails out there, Happy Valley it kicks you real wide, um, and horses on the in, on the fence, they can say two or three lengths, just because of the it's pretty much just because of the sheer circumference of the track and how tight that last bend is when when um, when the rails out and it, it kicks you out. So. Um, you know, being really mindful of, of those things and, and you know, the, the um, you know, yeah, good barriers are, are really important and a couple of them start there. So you've got to be really on your toes. Um, you've got to be really – and I think every race over there is, you know, like it's, it's like a group one. You know, every race is so important to them. Um, they bet so much on it. The, the turnover is incredible on every single race. So you've – you know, you might be, you know, it's not like turning up to um, like a provincial or country meeting here. And not that it doesn't mean anything. We all go there to win, but the, the pressure um, riding in Hong Kong, every meeting, every race, um, it was, yeah, like like riding in a, you know, in a group race every, every single time you went out there. And that's how you had to treat it. Well, that's, it sounds pretty intense. Uh, did you ever cop any sprays at all from any of the trainers over there or any fellow jockeys as well? Like, because the pressure system is just so high, did it ever boil over? Um, uh, I, I had a not, I had a bit of a run-in with, um, with John Moore at one point. Okay. I gave one a bit of a sore back and he didn't see too well and to it and sort of, I was riding a lot for him at the time and, and that sort of ended abruptly. But, um, you know, like, good thing is, I don't know, I can't um, can't talk Cantonese, I can't read Cantonese. So, and a lot of the a lot of the press over there, like, obviously, it, it comes out, you, you can't read the paper in a lot of them. So, you don't actually know what they're saying or or, um, or writing about you. But, um, yeah, that certain race, you know, I copped a, a fair bit of criticism over that, that certain race. Um, and that ride, but um, that was probably the main one where, you know, there was, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I, I think someone translated some of the stuff they were saying in the paper for me, and yeah, they'll they'll give me 
give me a bit of flack. But um, uh, got on, got on pretty well with most of the trainers over there. Obviously, there's only you know twenty four, I think, yeah, twenty four or so trainers over there at certain times. So um, it's a very um, small pond. So you know. And, and it's the same with them. Like they've got to, you know, you can't get offside with any trainers that, and they don't want to get offside. The trainers don't really want to get offside with too many jockeys either because there's only a certain amount of jockeys. So, you know, you don't just have a, a vast um, range of riders or trainers that you can ride for. So you've got to be a bit diplomatic in the way you, you handle things as well on both sides. Oh, it's, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like overall the experience was pretty positive. So if the opportunity was to come up again, would you go? Like we've seen only just recently, um, J-Mac, Shin, they all headed over and had a few rides for the international carnivals. If that opportunity came up, would you be happy to go over again? Uh, look, I, I wouldn't go there. I don't think I'd go there sort of long term. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get back there for like maybe the, the international meeting which is coming up, so that'd be pretty cool. But unfortunately, um, you know, Converge was, was a chance of going over this year, but he just didn't quite come up this prep. But um, hopefully in the, in the future I, I can get back there for, for um, yeah, like an international meeting or something. But as, as far as riding there long term, I think that, you know, I think it changed a, a fair bit since I was there. Um yeah, just the whole 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 Hong Kong thing with China and everything. I think it's all changed a little bit. But like as I said, it was a great experience. I was very privileged to get the opportunity by the jockey club to, to go over there and, and ride there. And it, it definitely, you know, it's something that I, I look back on fondly and, and I'm proud that I've, with what I, I was able to achieve over there. Yeah, moving back to Australia racing, um, you've developed a strong partnership with Waterhouse and Bot. Um, how has that developed over the years and what sets them apart from other trainers that you've worked with? Yeah, so that was something that, that sort of come about. When I come back from, from Hong Kong, um, I started writing a, a bit of work there for, for Gay at the time. Obviously, Adrian wasn't on the scene until a bit later, but and, and just it was one of those things that it just slowly sort of built up. You know, I'd say the first two or three years I didn't, you know, even though I was writing work there and that the opportunities I was getting were, were very few and far between. You know, at the time, Nation and Tommy, I think was, were, you know, Blake was there at one point as well, but you know, she had her stable riders and, and I was more like third, fourth stringer type thing. And, just slowly, you know, like things happen, you know, like jockeys like I did, you know, went away for stints overseas and, and moved on and, and it just slowly developed that I was getting more and more opportunities and, and riding winners and, and it just, just snowballed from there. Um, and then obviously Adrian, he, he got on board about 2016 it was and, you know, it just continued to the, you know, the, the partnership just got stronger and stronger and I was, you know, just getting more and more rides and opportunities and then, you know, that, that sort of, that's how that developed. Um, you know, and obviously, like, you know, what what hasn't she achieved really, Gay, like she's pretty much won everything and they just, um, you know, they present their horses fit and well and, um, 
you know, they have a good grasp of, of, of the individual horses and, and what they require. And, you know, yeah, she's definitely, um, you know, her record speaks for itself. You know, I don't need to sit here and, and tell you how good she is because, yeah, she's got the, the, her record. So I'm just um, very lucky that I get to ride ride for, for her and Adrian and, and you know, the, the success we have is, you know, it's been terrific. So I hope long may it continue. 100%. And we'll touch on a couple of those successes soon because you mentioned that uh, Gage, she trains the absolute world out of her horses, always presents them fit and ready. And so we'll talk about a few horses that you've become somewhat synonymous with. We'll touch on uh, Gay's horse, Alligator Blood, soon. But first I just want to get your thoughts on um, Lesbridge Hot Danish. You managed to win 14 races on her, I believe, including a couple of group ones. So talk about how you are able to find your way onto the back of Hot Danish and what that partnership did for your career at the time. Yeah, so that was something that happened when I was um, I was doing my apprenticeship with, with John O'Shea and, and John sort of his stables were sort of up the top of High Street there and Les was just a couple of barns down. So um, it sort of just worked out that it would be a good idea that um, so I'd go and, and, and ride a couple of horses work for Les early in the morning, like you know, first thing, like 4 o'clock or so. And then sort of um, do a couple for Les, and then John had sort of his horses would be down and ready to, to work after that. So um, yeah, I went. And, yeah, that's sort of that's how it started my relationship with Les, and um, you know she was one of the, the first horses. I think I started riding a bit of work, and obviously um, you know she's showing you know decent ability for an unraced horse and trialled her up and, and she went really well and she went to Kembler having her first start and Jason Lee rode her and, um, you know, she was ultra impressive uh, and then I was able to get back on her when she come to town and it just, yeah, she just went through the grades and and up obviously getting to being one of the, you know, not only one of the best mares at the, around at the time but one of the, one of the most, you know, favourite, you know, she was a people's favourite. So she'd turn up each each and every carnival, win a couple of group races, sort of help put me on the map. You know, you know, it was always good to, you know, have a horse to be associated with going into a carnival, and and she was she was it. She was, you know, she'd put a hand up, you know, each and every carnival, and you know, obviously she, um, yeah, got me got me going really on 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 that path and in their big races and. And probably, you know, showed people that, you know, I was capable of, even though I was young and was an apprentice at some of the, the stakes wins that, you know, I could, I could get the job done in, in the, in the better races. So yeah, she was, she'd, she'll always be, yeah, one of my, one of my all time favorites for, for what she done in for my career. Fair enough. Now a bit more recent, obviously Alligator Blood. Um, you're basically his exclusive jockey now and won just two, Group ones in the last few months on him. Um, what's the relationship like there? Yeah, well, obviously he's had a bit of a, a, a colourful, um, <laughs> colourful career today. But um, yeah, for, for him to be able to come back from what he's been through, you know, with with his injury and, and that surgery, you know, full credit to full credit to him, eh? Like to be able to, to bounce back and definitely what what. What Gay and Adrian have, have done with him has just been incredible, and what a he's 
what a tough horse he is. Like, you know, like he, he won the Stradbroke impressively and then obviously, you know, ended up, he wasn't allowed to race in Sydney, so he, he went to Melbourne and then, um, you know, obviously Shad just got beat in the, in the Maccabi when he, when he looked home. Uh, but then he was able to obviously go and win the win the Underwood at Sandown, which was a big thrill. My, you know, my first Group One in Melbourne. Um, Huge. And then, yeah, and then and then probably you know found the the two thousand just a bit beyond him. But then, you know, he, he's obviously he peaked up a couple of times, had a couple of Grand Finals, and and still, you know, to be able to drop back to the mile and and, and run him into the ground like he did. Was, was a massive effort in the in the mile race there at Flemington. So, yeah, what a what a bloody good horse he is. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hopefully, plenty plenty more in him. Hundred percent. Talking into that championship mile race, um, it's honestly one of the best runs I've seen Alligator Blood run. Can you talk us the plan going into that race? And is there anything that kind of went off plan mid race that ended up working a bit better for you guys? Um, oh, I guess the, the plan was that, yeah, like a lot of well, yeah, his early runs, there was no speed. And then obviously him and Darkie sort of butted head, heads a few times, which probably um, didn't do either horse any any favours, which we saw on, on finals day there. Like they both come out and won. Um, so obviously with, with no Darkie in the race, it, it made it a bit easier. It meant that... Um, you know, I was going to be able to get get, get the control of the race, or you know, all going to plan, and um, it was more just about him getting into a, a good rhythm, bowling, you know, flying along, and that I think that's his problem with you know at the moment trying to run the two thousand is that he, he just wants to go that bit quick, um, you know, so he wants to go sort of mile speed that little bit quicker, and obviously back to the miles, I was able to do that, I was able to flow along, and obviously. Um, you know, well, you know, Private Eye had had done some amazing things, so we'll con- not concerned, but obviously had a healthy respect for for that horse and and what he'd been able to do, and you know, expecting him to be be really hard to beat. But um, you know, you know, from the from the thousand, I think it was, I think I ran broke twelve seconds for like four furlong splits in a row, and it just it just busted him behind him trying to chase and obviously you know, his last furlong he obviously he he was starting to feel the pinch but he'd he'd um he'd he'd broke broke them up and broke their hearts a bit like in between the the thousand and the furlong and um you know, I I thought that for him to still be able to kick as strong as he was, he did sort of from the top of the straight to the furlong, um just just show how brave he, brave a horse he was, and how tough he is. So um, that all, all that race all went and planned pretty much as we saw it, um, and thankfully he was he was good enough to, to hang on. But you know, it's it's always a bit trickier too on a fine on leaders when the inside's a bit compromised, which it was that day. So um, you know, if you can go a good enough gallop and, and break them up a bit, you can sort of get that bit of a break before the turn, which allowed me to, to get out to the middle. I guess that was the, the only thing I had to, to really um, be mindful of to, to, to make sure that I was 
going at a, at a nice nice speed that wouldn't have anything sort of pressuring me and therefore I could get to the, the part of the track I wanted to as well. Fair enough. And with these big races, obviously having a plan is really, really important. How long does it actually take to sit with um, the trainers and, and develop that plan for the specific horse? Does it take a long time or is it mostly you know how the horse kind of runs so you, you kind of just understand the plan and then you just get to the fine points a little bit and it doesn't take that long? Yeah, it doesn't really take that long. I guess, you know, like there's so much information out there that we can we can use now, videos and, you know, there's speed maps and, you know, like all that sort of stuff. There's change of tactics that, you know, and so we can get a pretty good idea of how the race is going to be run, you know, early, pretty early on, you know, after acceptances. So then it's just a matter of, you know, I speak to Gay, um, you know, before I go, before I ride, you know, she she doesn't often go to the races. She was actually there that day, which was which was great. She she was there sort of over the over the carnival in Flemington. But you know, on a certain on a day that she may not be there, like I'll I'll ring her on the way to the races, and you know she'll, she'll go through the race sort of on the phone, um, discuss like speed wise, um, what sort of speed there's going to be, and um, the dangers. Uh, you know, like if there is any sort of um, track pattern where, where she, you know, because she's, you know, the Metropolitan Meetings that, um, get some information about the track. So um, it, it, it's not a it's not a long phone call. It's pretty pretty straightforward. It's, I guess it's the more you, the more you um, comp- complicate things, you know, the, you know that's when you start making mistakes. So it's more so about yeah, we try and keep it pretty uncomplicated, keep it pretty straightforward. And, you know, I, I'd like to think now that if I didn't know how to ride Gain Adrian's horses, you know, we're, we're in a bit of trouble. So yeah, uh, I know them pretty well from, know them pretty well from trials and track work. So, you know, I've got a pretty good handle on them. And yeah, we just go over the, the finer details race morning. Yeah. Um, so it's good that you're able to come up with that plan and execute it perfectly. Like you said, um, so with plans for Alligator Blood, the world's his oyster now. He's a star, like you mentioned. He's super brave to have come from the whirlwind that was his racing bands, his health issues, and now he can do whatever Gay and Adrian decide. So are you aware of those future plans? There are rumours possibly going international or targeting the All-Star Mile. So would you follow him anywhere he goes, and where do you think he's headed next? Yeah, so it's um, obviously going to be interesting. You know, he's got to come back. He's obviously had a pretty taxing well, not taxing, but, but you know, a long, a long campaign. Um, so obviously, hopefully, he can he can um, sell well and, and come back. And yeah, I'd I, I'd say if I was a betting man, I'd be uh, I'd be having the All Star Mile pretty short in the market. Um, so I reckon that's where he'll he'll probably end up. But who, who knows? Like it just depends on how he's coming up. And, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's been talk about overseas, but whether that's um, going to happen this year or not, I'm, I'm not too sure. But uh, we'll just see how he how he comes back. But I reckon, you know, the All Star Mile. You know, his his record at Flemington's very good. I think he's won um, he's won two Group One miles there and just got beaten in another. So yeah. he's um, you know, obviously got a, a liking to, to the mile at Flemington and. 
I think that's where the All Star Mile is this year. I'm not sure. Maybe they move move them around the track, so I'm not sure. Really, but it's obviously going to be a, a a race high on his agenda um, come come the autumn. And yeah, it, you know they're going to clash again with Sydney autumn and, and that sort of thing. So it's one of those things that I have to work out probably a bit a bit closer to to when he's racing as to to where I'll be or where I'm required to be. So um, it'll be probably a bit depend on what day and age really got racing in Sydney if, if Alligator is in Melbourne and where they where they want me to, to go. Fair enough. Um, which horse is better, do you feel? Is it even possible to compare them, Hot Danish or Alligator Blood? Uh, I guess it, it, it's, it's difficult to compare them. You know, I guess she was... She was more a six and for long horse where, you know, alligator's probably a, a proper miler. Yeah. Um, but as I said, she'll she'll always you know, she's not the best horse. She won't be the best horse of you know, at the end of my career. You know, I'll, I'll have ridden better horses than her. But um, as I said, she'll always be she'll always have a have a special place in, in my career and, and she'll be she'll be one of my favourites. Um, yeah, she'll be always be one of my favourites for, for what she done for me. Yeah, so speaking on Hot Danish, is there a favourite ride that you had, favourite win on Hot Danish? Well, obviously her, her group ones, her two group ones were very special. She'd taken a fair while to break through. Um, you know, she'd been plagued a bit by wet tracks and and that sort of probably stopped her from winning a couple of group ones earlier. But, yeah, the two group ones were, were pretty special. The, the all-age um, where, you know, Les... You know, was a bit critical of me in the TJ the start before. He didn't sort of, you know, as you know, he didn't blow up at the races. He just, you know, a few days later, just pulled me aside and and just sort of had a word to me, which which is which is how that was. He was great, you know, like he that's how he sort of deal with things. You know, he, nothing sort of got sort of said too much out in public, we'd just have a we just have a conversation, you know, between us, which was which was, um, you know, how we how we dealt with things and yeah, just that I might have just been a bit bit um, impatient on her, which which she was probably right. And um, so therefore I you know, I was very mindful in the all aged and, you know, if you see the replay, like I didn't move on her until the furlong, so I was um yeah, that was satisfying to to get that win, the first group one, and to be able to for a good ride to do it, and then and then to do the ten thousand. Um, yeah, speed, you know, speed a good field up there, and who um, we got to and that. So that was they were they were pretty pretty special. Fair enough. Uh, question I've personally been wondering: comes a big race day, does the crowd ever come into play with the way? that you go into your races, obviously, does it get you more keen? Does it give you a bit more nervous? Like, how does the crowd kind of impact the way you go about a race? Yeah, well, we can't, you know, we don't really, like, by the time we get around at the start, mate, you sort of block that out. You might hear a roar at the start of a race, but then in the race you don't hear them until maybe late. But, um, yeah, definitely before the race, um, you know, if there's a good crowd and there's a good atmosphere, it's, it gets you, it gets the adrenaline pumping, and yeah, it gets you pretty up and about. Um, do you reckon it affects the horses? Do you think they know when they've won that big race in front of thousands? 
Yeah, I think they do know. I think they do know when they win. Like, you know, I think they they um they take it in. Yeah. So, well, some of them do. Like you saw, you know, like also like winks and and that sort of stuff. Like how they sort of behave to the crowd. I think I think the good ones know. Eh? Like they um you know like oh, Dana, she used you know she was a big crowd favourite and she used to love it. So. Yeah, I think the good ones are the thing to, to know. Do you ever see her get a bit arrogant with it? Me or the horses? Uh, no, the, yeah, the, the horse. Yeah, the hot Danish, she said, like, she knew that the crowd was loving her. Did you, do you ever see her get a bit arrogant in the way she strutted around? Yeah, she she used to. You know, she was big and strong as it was. So you know, it just felt that, you know, she'd even, you know, felt like she even grew a bit bigger, you know, like when, when, um, when there was a good buzz around the crowd and she seemed to, uh, yeah, herself build it, you know, really build herself up um, when when the crowd was getting involved. Oh, awesome stuff. Great stuff to touch on. And so, like we uh, said earlier, off the track, we like to talk about the career and then stuff that you like to do to unwind as well. So we have a few questions now, uh, what you like to do in your spare time outside of racing. Yep. So, what's your, what's your number one hobby outside of racing, Timmy? Oh, I, I do like um, playing a bit of golf, but I probably a bit restricted with time, and I just don't seem to get out there anymore. But I, I guess um, probably the most thing, the most I do now outside of outside of racing is, um, with, you know, with my daughter. We, um, yeah, she's got a pony, and, and she's pretty mad keen on, on riding and, and jumping and, and that sort of stuff. So I, I'd say outside of racing, where I spend the most time, it's not the golf course, it's, um, it's with her and with her and her pony and, and, and taking her riding and, and doing them sorts of things. So, yeah, that, that, that's where I sort of most of my time is away from racing. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Is, but has she ever told you if she wants to be a jockey when she grows up? No, no, she, um, as I said, like, just loves animals, loves horses, and so she's really keen on, like, the, the show jumping and, and that side of, that side of, um, things. So, which we're, you know, my wife and I are, you know, happy, happy with, um, her doing that. So she, as I said, she really enjoys it and she's pretty bloody good at it too. So, <laughs> although she's only just sort of starting, but she, um, yeah, she sits on really well. Oh, that's the way. That's what you like to see. Uh, another one here. Um, what other sports do you follow? Do you big NRL man or AFL or anything? And what teams do you support? Yeah, so I'm big big NRL follower. You know, I love footy growing up, playing it as a kid. So, um, yeah, and I'm a, I'm a mad Newcastle Knights fan. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Fair yeah, enough. So it's been pretty... Uh, haven't had a lot this year for the last like, <laughs> 10 or 15 years. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, watch, I, 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 I enjoy watching most sports to be honest, as I mentioned, like golf, like I love watching the golf and, you know, I love watching Rory McIlroy play. Um, you know, he's probably one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I think a couple of them events like the Ryder cup and that, like they're probably the, the, one of the best sporting events of you know watch I'd love to love to one day go and and, and watch a Ryder Cup live um, that's for sure but, uh, not so much in not, not into the like American sports much though like I know they're 
a lot a lot of the boys are, are big into them, but um, I've sort of struggled to get into the the, the NFL and yeah. don't mind watching a little bit of NBA, um, but uh, yeah, not not as much as not as much as a few of the other boys. Yeah, okay. Do, are you planning on going to the LIV event next year in Australia, or do you reckon you'll be too busy with the riding? Yeah, it's in Adelaide, isn't it? So it'd be it'd be great to to get to go go watch. Of um, yeah, I'll have to have to see what what the schedule's like to see if I can get over there. Yeah, okay, good stuff. So, well, you mentioned that you're big on the NRL, big on watching the golf. So let's just say you've had a big day at the track, maybe three or more winners. What are you doing to celebrate and unwind after the big day? Is it going out maybe to the pub and having a few cold ones or is it coming home, sitting on the couch and just chucking on the footy or the golf? What do you like to do? Um, bit of both. Like I guess used to, um, obviously, before all the uh, the pandemic and all that started when we could go out. I know it's sort of back, getting back to a bit of normal before, but, yeah, I used to always love going out Um on a Saturday night, um, my wife Jade and I, we'd, we'd always, um, yeah, like that'd be our night where we could try and get out, you know, and, and wind down and, and um, you know, yeah, unwind a bit and have some dinner and a, and a few drinks. So, yeah, off recent times, though, it, it's more so being just at home and, um, yeah, putting on a movie. And I guess she, she hears enough of um, the horses and the, racing talk all through the week so try and try and let that go for for a few hours on a saturday night and sit down and you know we love getting a bit of takeaway on a saturday night a bit of thai food or something like that and a couple of drinks and and sitting down and, and watching a movie beauty uh we like to ask our guests some pretty deal breaker questions probably the most important question i'm going to ask you today what's your favorite beer or wine uh, beer, Great Northern. Yeah, good choice, good choice. I, I'm not much of a wine drinker. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so even like even like champagne and that, I'm not a big champagne drinker. But um, yeah, a Great Northern is is uh, high up on the on the beer list. Yeah, it's a good choice, good choice. And so when you're going out and you, uh, um go out to dinner, what, what what's the go to meal? Like if you're celebrating or even Maybe in a bit of a cheap meal because you've got to keep weight and you don't have to worry about that for the next few days. What's the go-to meal? Um, oh, as I said, we, we're we're big into the um, Asian cuisine. Actually, like that's our our sort of go-to. So it'd be some sort of uh, like a Thai dish, like a um, yeah, some some sort of Thai dish, whether it's a mushroom curry or or pad to you or something like that, I reckon. Um, that, that's sort of our go-to. So um, with a with a, with a vodka, and, vodka and Coke to, to chase I'm it a, down with. I'm a big vodka and Coke man. Nick's the beer drinker of the two. I'm, I, I love the vodkas. Yeah, yeah. I get the, the Grey Goose or the Belvedere, the, the, the top, the good quality, though. Yeah. It's got to yeah. be, be the good quality stuff. No Smirnoff for two. None of that cheap shit. Fair enough. Um, we'd like to ask everyone that comes on, who's the biggest personality in the jockey room? Um, yeah, well, Reggie Bayless is, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw, um, Channel 7 did something, um, done some done some videoing and some footage of trying to get all the jockeys and 
their question was who who's the biggest pest in the in the jockey's room, and I reckon the only person actually. He actually answered himself as well. So Reggie Bailey's <laughs> pretty much got every single boat even from himself. So yeah, he's um, yeah he's, he's a good laugh in there. He's, he's generally pretty loud, especially if he rides a winner early in the day. He um, he gets up and about, and yeah, we have we have a good laugh in there when when he's when he's on song. It's a it's a fun day. Fair enough. We're actually two from two with that. We yeah. we interviewed Dill Gibbons last week, and and he said the exact same thing. So, I reckon we're going to get more jockeys in here, and they're just going to be dealing the same card to us. Same, same. Yeah, he got he got every vote, and he even voted for himself. <laughs> Does he ever go a bit quiet if he's not having a good day? Do you ever, or is he just always on? Uh yeah. No, occasionally he can be a bit quiet. Uh, yeah. No, there's there's the, there's the odd occasion where he, he can be a bit bit quiet if he's riding really light, um, things like that. That that sort of keeps him a bit a bit quieter. But most of the time, um, he's uh, he's got plenty to say. <laughs> oh well, good stuff, mate. Um, before we let you go, final question that we like to finish on with everyone that comes on the show: uh, Where do you see your career taking you in the next few years? What's the goal for Tim Clark? Is it a specific race in mind? Is it a specific track to ride at internationally? What's next for you? Um, oh, I'd love to win a Melbourne Cup. No, no question. Obviously, you know, there's some other races now that are, you know, that we've got in Sydney with the, the Everest and the Golden Eagle. And, you know, prize money wise, they're they're off the charts. Which, yeah, I'd love to win one of them as well. But I, I think I'd, I'd really love to win a Melbourne Cup. I think that um, that would be, you know, just incredible. So hopefully. Um, you know, horse, you know, who knows, you know, horse that I rode on Melbourne Cup Day this year, White Marlin, you know, he, he's heading, you know, he's going to be heading on, on that sort of path, I, I assume, and that'll be his goal in, in 12 months. So, you know, hopefully um, he can continue his, his winning ways and, um, you know, that is, you know, apart from, you know, winning big races and, um, yeah, I just, I, I love riding winners. It doesn't really matter where it is. Um, you know, you just that that buzz you get from riding a winner doesn't yeah it doesn't matter where it's at. But so yeah, just try and keep riding as as many winners I can, and obviously performing it on the on the big days and and getting the big winners are are pretty special as well. So if I can keep doing that, I'll be happy. Oh, awesome! So thank you very much for joining us today, mate. We really appreciate it. Uh, good stuff, guys. Always, as I said, it's, uh, it's always good to come on and have a chat and, and um, spread the word a bit and hopefully um, a few people out there enjoy the enjoy the listen. That's it. Yeah, too easy. Hopefully we'll be able to get you on again sometime in the future, eh? Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks, Timmy. Really appreciate it, mate. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. You too. You too, mate.